welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to the second episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I am so excited to continue our conversation on connecting with teens and parenting teenage children with my good friend, Kiara Stratton. Kiara is a mom, a sister, a wife, a daughter, and a lawyer. She has a 12-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter. She dabbles in many things, lawyering, writing, sewing, and photography. These days, she does less of the lawyering thing to spend more time with her family. Thank you so much for coming back on, Kiara. Oh, thank you for having me. We're excited to continue our conversation. Yeah, so in the first episode, we talked, I I think I did most of the talking, um, but we talked about really connecting with teenagers and how the teenagers are really different than the toddler years, um, the elementary school years, and really different than parenting a young adult too. And um, you know, we both offered some suggestions and some ideas of how to strengthen that connection, how to be real clear with rules and boundaries. And then today I thought we'd talk about some of the questions that readers sent in through Instagram, through my blog, they emailed me, um, and some questions that you've gathered too from moms of teenagers. Yes. So um, we'll just get started. Okay. Um, The first one I have is any ideas for getting teens to participate in family time? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and so it's a really good one. I know. And and I think it's what we crave as parents because that's probably one of the first shifts that we see as our kids become really tweens is kind of what I, I think everything's starting younger, but I think we start to see them pull away. Um, and we talked about this a little bit in episode one about how like our kids will pull away and how that's really normal. And so I guess my advice to parents in that situation, especially with your first teenager, because honestly, by the time your second or third or fourth come along, you, you just get it. You know, that's normal is to adjust your expectations. Teenagers are often going to choose friends over family and that's developmentally kind of normal. You really want them to develop good social connections in the teen years. They're not going to live at home forever. So they need to develop connections outside of your family. So I would say have shortened expectations. If you expected them to spend a lot of time in your family as you do when they're young and when they're in elementary school, you know, just kind of adjust what you're expecting from them. And then the other thing is I would let them pick what you do. Um, I often like, like some of my favorite things are to read or watch a movie, kind of more introverted activities, which I, I know family time is not really introverted, but I'm not like you know, I don't know, let's play tons of family games. But my kids do like family games. My oldest son loves this game called Settlers of Catan. And so (laughs) when he came home from, he graduated from college and came home during quarantine and he taught the family to play. And we played a lot. They played a lot. It's really kind of a four-player game. And so I would watch a lot, which was fine. Um, But we had... Well, I won the first time. (laughs) And then I was like, (laughs) I'm done. I'm going out on a high note. (laughs) 
But so I was like, okay, I won once. I don't want to play again. I'm kidding. But we, um, Jenga, <laughs> things like that. So I let them pick. And like sometimes I want to watch a long family movie, but my kids don't really want to commit to two hours with us. And so we'll play a quick game of Jenga or we'll watch an episode of Shark Tank. Um, so reel them in slowly and short. Do what they like. Um, and then food. Yeah. yeah. I always tell you food, yes. food, food, especially <laughs> with teenage boys. If I am feeding them their food, getting their favorite takeout, what have you, if it involves food, the kids will come, the teens will come. And so those are my suggestions. You have any more to add? Well, I was just thinking um, of what you were saying, and you do have to adjust what your idea of family time is, Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm the same. I'm like, hey, let's sit and watch a movie. And then for 20 minutes, we're trying to decide what movie isn't too childish, isn't too mature, you know, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things, especially as they start to transition into the teen years, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of finding the middle ground of that. And we will, I mean, we've had to adjust. My son is big into playing video games. And instead of the argument of, hey, you got to turn it off after two hours and, hey, you have to do that, we just sit and play with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've gotten very good at Mario Kart. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) Um, but, but I think it, I think that's right. It's just, um, you know, kind of be there Mm -hmm. where, um, where, where they want to be. And also I I liked your, you just observe them playing a game because Mm -hmm. family time doesn't have to be where we're all kind of sitting around and holding hands and doing, you know, that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's just being in the same room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had to learn that as the kids get older, sometimes, you know, it's just watching what they're doing or, um, being there and organically the conversation will come. So your next leading into is how do I get my teen to open up and tell me more about their life? (laughs) Yeah, this is something people ask a lot. And so I think similarly, just like the first question, you have to adjust your expectations. Some teens will just tell their parents everything. Um, I have three kids. I have I don't know, dozens, if not a hundred teenagers of parents in my practice right now. And some teens talk a lot and some don't. So I think the first thing I would say is do not force a teen who is just not a big talker to talk. It's just not who they am. And um, we have to really honor who our kid is and love them for who they are. And so I would just kind of say, first, ask yourself that. Then secondly, I would say you as the parent need to create a really good environment for teens to talk. We talked in the first episode about not asking a lot of questions. And I think one of the mistakes parents make is they want to get their teen to open up. So they ask them tons of questions and it has the opposite effect. A lot of the time, the teen shuts down, they withdraw, they give one word answers And, um, you know, one of my kids friends said, I went to a program at their school and we got matched up with like, not our child, but a peer to ask questions that maybe our kid wouldn't answer, but somebody their age would answer. And we all asked him about that. And he told this story. He said, you know, I come home from eight hours of school and they're at a very rigorous all boys prep school. And I go to my sports practice and I come home and I sit down to dinner and it's the first moment I can kind of relax. And my parents are asking me, how'd you do on that test? How did football practice go? Did you ask someone to homecoming yet? Da, 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 da. And the kid said he literally felt, I mean, not literally, he felt like his parents had a gun to his head. It felt like so much pressure. And so he just, he hated answering their questions. And so I would say when they do talk, 
be a really good listener and say things like, tell me more. I love hearing about your robotics club or your classes or whatever it is. Encourage them, but don't put them on the spot with a million questions because they don't want that. And just like we talked about in the last question, get interested in something they're interested in. If there's a book series they're reading, read it. Oh, last night. No, yeah, last night. My oldest son, he's 23. He's in grad school and he's in Austin, Texas right now. And we were talking, he goes, mom, mom, I'm watching this new show on Netflix. It's not really new. It's really old. It's called New Girl. And he goes, have you ever watched it? I said, you know, I think I watched it like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it was on regular TV, but I don't remember it. So anyway, he's like, I'm really watching it. I really love it. I think you'd love it. Because he and I, as I said, we watch Friends, we watch The Office, and it's kind of that same, you know, comedy genre. And so I started watching it last night. And I'm texting him and it gives us this thing to connect about. Like we, he is in another city. He's 23 years old. We're watching the same show separately, but it gives us something to talk about. And then guess what? We talk about the episode and then he tells me about his life. And so find that reference point. My husband and I also kind of take turns going into the rooms at least once each night when our teenagers are living at home. I mean, two of them are off at college now, but, and just hanging out for a little bit. And um, one of them loved that because he would take any distraction from his schoolwork and homework in the evening. But we would just go in and sit down. And, you know, sometimes my daughter will say, "Um, what are you doing? I'm reading my book. And I'll say, oh, I'm just visiting, hanging out. And I just sit on her window seat or at the end of her bed, not forever, for maybe 10 minutes, five minutes. And and they'll open up if the conditions are right. Now, my middle son, he didn't like that. He's super, super, super productive. And he'd be like, I'm studying. Can we talk when I'm done? And that was fine, you know. So kind of looking at how they all share differently and how you can, again, meet them where they are. Yeah, I think that's very true. It's, um, we we did that with the show Glee. Oh. Where the kids kind of got into it. And I watched it like, you know, when it first came out years ago. But it is, it's also a really good kind of, pivot point without it being too kind of like teachy Mm -hmm. where you know there's it's the relationships in the show and the kids you'll hear their perspective Mm -hmm. on how relationships go on different people's personalities and I found and we found my husband and I both that we learn a lot about how the kids see things and how they view their friends and Um, just interactions. And it's also, it is a way to kind of sneak in there like, oh, well, that probably wasn't the nicest thing to do or, you know, something like that. And, you know, and then you realize like they start looking at you like, I know what you're doing. And so you back off, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's the kind of, it's, it's the kind of push and pull of Mm -hmm. the relationships, but you do, you find them, you know, you find something they can relate to. I didn't think that they would enjoy Glee very much, but they brought it to us. Oh, wow. I think. And, And so it's kind of a fun um, that's been a, a really fun thing about the quarantine, I think, is to be able to, you know, we're here and we have to do it and just being able to see the the everyday. You're right. That's a good point. And I love what you said about like, so sometimes things will come up or people in the show will make a choice that is definitely not the choice you would hope your mm-hmm. teen would make or your young adult. Um, Kate and I... I watch Gilmore Girls. I waited till she was a certain age and we started from the very beginning. I think we're at season five of seven. 
And we're in a season where the main character, Rory, who was such a good girl, is making some really poor choices. Mm -hmm. And it gives us these wonderful, wonderful times, opportunities to talk about what would you do in that situation? What do you think about what she did? And I don't do it all the time. Honestly, I would say half the time my daughter brings it up. She'll say, ooh, that wasn't a good choice. That's so cool to see it, too. Yeah. And for them to do that. And so along those same lines, the next question is what to tell teen girls about friends who were mean, fickle, and generally not good friends. Oof. I mean, because we encounter that in those yeah. shows yeah. a little, right? And um, so what do you think, Kim? This is so hard. And honestly, sometimes I, I give answers in my practice or in life or something like this. And I know the parents are going to be like, that is not what I wanted to hear, Kim. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. they're going to have it. And there's no way you can protect them from it. One thing I have told my kids, I think I started in kindergarten, and it was probably went right over their heads. But I told them when they started kindergarten or preschool, you become like the five people you spend the most time with. So choose them carefully. And I also have always taught them, you have agency. I never encouraged my kids to be quote unquote popular. I advise them to pick people who will be good friends with good values and good characteristics rather than someone Mm -hmm. who seems popular. And I know that's so much easier said than done, but I've watched it with so many people in my community that if you instill that really early on, really early on from the very beginning, they follow that path. They realize I would rather Mm -hmm. have two really nice friends than 10 friends who I'm always worried about gossiping. And then people say to me, all right, well, I didn't do that. So what do I do now? What We're there, right? Okay, I didn't do that. And now she's 14 and she is in the popular group and she likes the girls, but sometimes they're mean or they're exclusive or whatever. And so we talk about friendships their whole lives. And I think they get better at it at each stage. Like I think about Mm -hmm. kindergarten and one of my kids was just a total pushover and people walked all over that kiddo in kindergarten. Now that child is very assertive and very sure of what she wants and, you know, doesn't let that happen in friendships. But um, I share with them my own friendship hurts and disappointment. I mean, I'll share with them things friends did to me when I was growing up, or even now. I mean, I I, I lost a really, really good friend about a year or two ago. And I've shared with my kids what happened and, you know, what I thought my part was and how I tried to repair it and and the the repair didn't work. And and I I grieved that. And I, I shared that with them because we all lose friendships. We all get hurt. And that's a part of life. And we'll learn from that. Just like breakups, we can't completely protect our kids from getting hurt in life. We just can be there and we can empathize and we can sort of like nudge them in a, in a better direction, you know? Um, right. And I, we went through a pretty bad situation with my 14 year old where um, there was a friend of hers who kind of turned on her mm. and turned on a lot. She had, she kind of, she was kind of a serial kind of mean girl, right? Mm-hmm. She would pick somebody be their best friend and then change her mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I could never totally understand it, but it was like in fourth grade and I wasn't totally prepared for it. Mm. And it was one of those where I didn't know that it was happening because she didn't really open up and she was trying to, my daughter was trying to kind of deal with it herself. 
and it was the end of spring break and she, we were, you know, doing something. I think we were like brushing her hair or something and, and it came out. It was that, it was kind of the, how do you get your teen to open up, yeah. you know, and I was just there and she opened up about it. And rather than try to fix it, which is something that you and I talked about the, the other episode, yeah. I just listened yeah. and let her say all of it. And I bit my tongue and tried not to, um, say negative things about this person because she also she felt like she picked her and why would you pick somebody who would then turn on you yeah. you know it was almost yeah. like a statement about her yeah and so I tried to just listen and then um you know and we talked it through and every time it would be like oh she says she apologized and she's trying to be friends and I tried to say okay I'm not going to be like hey you know it's <laughs> kind of like when your friend tries to get back together with her ex-boyfriend yeah. you're like no 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 don't do it <laughs> Um, and so, but eventually she learned that it was, you know, to be there. But I think as parents, we just have to be there. And mm -hmm. I have to say, and, but there were times when I was like, I don't think that she's that good for you. I, you can't hang out with her this weekend. We can't do that because I saw it. I, yeah. I saw the personality. And I think sometimes we are there to be that limit to, um, to do that. So I think, I think that's, that's a great point, Kiara. You, you really sound like you struck the balance between just listening and not maybe giving her too much advice and letting her figure it out. And when she needed your guidance, giving her that, I think that's perfect to go to shift to something yeah. that is probably requiring more boundaries. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the appropriate age for a cell phone? This is tricky. Um, I think around, around sixth grade. And I say that sort of generally because I've known families, I work with some families to help them, like some families that are divorced and to help them keep peace among co-parenting. And sometimes in those families, it's better for a younger kid to have a phone so that if they're spending the weekend at dad's house, they can call or text mom sometimes without having to ask for dad's phone. Um, so there are certain situations that uh, I would say you could do it a little bit younger, but my rule of thumb with all of my kids was sixth grade. And then with the boys, we didn't get them a smartphone. I mean, with our oldest, there probably wasn't even smartphones, but it was like, you know, your basic phone. I don't think kids should be on social media until eighth grade at the minimum. There's a wonderful movement called wait till eight. It's actually put out by, um, people that created social media and technology companies, because even the people that started all of this know that it's really not healthy for kids before eighth grade. And so, I mean, when your kids are in activities and sports and travel teams, or like they walk to school or, you know, you're not always there. Like when in grade school, my kids weren't going anywhere really without me, <laughs> you know? Right. So they right. didn't need a phone. But in middle school, sometimes they were. Sometimes they were going to an away game on a bus with the school or another parent. or And I wanted to be able – or they were staying after school for something. Um, and so I felt like I needed that to communicate with them. And so I think eighth grade is a good training year for social media where you kind of walk them through it and help them learn. You start really slowly. You have passwords to their media. Um so those are kind of my guidelines. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that, the, that's a really good tip also. We tell our kids that 
their emails, even their school emails. We keep we keep a list of all of the passwords. Yeah. As long as you know, as just just to be safe. I don't. I haven't had to use it because mm-hmm. they're they're pretty good about it. But I want to know that they are you know being safe. Um, so, do you think that um, parents should read or monitor the kids' texts or follow them on social media or? Sometimes you know. I thought of one more thing, just this, this bridges the last question and this question that I've done with my kids. And I'm kind of laughing inside because if my kids listen to this, they're going to be like, yeah, you did it, but <laughs> I don't know that it really held much water. And I say that because we didn't actually need it, but I did print out a cell phone contract with my children. Um, You can Google this. I just, I mean, that's what I did. I just Googled it. I bring one when I talk about media and its impact on the family. I bring this contract to all my talks so the parents can have it. But I do advise when you get your kid a phone or social media um, that you print out one of these contracts and make your own changes to it. So we did have a contract. We would have your passwords. We could look at your text. We could do this. You would kind of come to us for you anything you know, I see all these young girls posting bikini shots, for example, and Mm -hmm. I wanted my kids to kind of run things by me and talk about that. So like who follows them, you know, um, definitely when they're living at home and they're teenagers, uh, they were private. So a contract is a really good starting point. We didn't have many blunders. I didn't have to enforce the contract. So like they saw it once and then I don't think we ever really needed to look at it again, (laughs) but you could have like hours on there. Like on the contract, it would say at nine o'clock, the phone has to be on the kitchen counter plugged in and you don't get it till the next morning. But if you lay all the, I, we laid all that out, they had to sign it before we handed them the phone. Yeah. And I think that would decrease a lot of the conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish I had thought about that, um, even with like, you know, video games, Mm -hmm. but um, because there is a lot of there, there was a lot of kind of push and pull in the, um, you know, and that's a lot of the conflict that we have found even during like the, the COVID times is that, you know, we're kind of like, okay, you've been doing that for like two hours, like come and hang out with us. Often that is in the contract is that we have the right to read or monitor your text and should parents do it sometimes. I mean, I also think teens need privacy. I really think back to my teen years and I had a diary and I had a, Mickey Mouse phone in my room. And I talked to my (laughs) friends all day long on the phone because that's what we had. We didn't have social media. And I wouldn't have wanted my mom listening in on those conversations. I wouldn't have wanted her being my private thoughts. And so I tell parents, like, remember that. Um, I'm not a fan of reading every single text that's on your teenager's phone. I tell parents, trust your gut. If your gut is telling you something is off, check in. But we also need to trust Mm. our kids. When your kids feel trusted, they live up to it. If you set the bar a little high, if they feel like you don't trust them, you're kind of saying, you're not worthy of my trust. And then they're going to feel that way about themselves too. Um, I tell my kids, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. And then you've got to rebuild the trust. And you know, as a parent, when you should check, you know, when we've got this radar, when something's off. Um, and so I don't want to know all their thoughts. I really don't. I don't want to read all their texts. I think 
they should be a little bit silly. And you know what? I have a group of moms that reads my daughters in um, these group chats or group texts for her dance team. And, you know, some of the other moms read them all. And so if anything gets off, they kind of tell me. Somebody's going to tell you. Yeah. yeah. Once in a while, once in a blue moon, I'll look. Um, but I, I don't look often. Um, I'm not criticizing parents that do. I think you have to know your child. You have to know, mm -hmm. look, some kids are sneaky. Some kids are getting exposed to things way before other kids. And I do remember with our oldest son, when he started high school, I don't know, my husband and I just had this feeling we should look and we did. And there were some things going on, <laughs> nothing major. He didn't know how to handle girls liking him for the first time and kind of how he was texting with them. And we sat him down and we're like, look, we read these texts and let's talk <laughs> about how you text with girls. And let's talk when you have two or three girls that have a crush on you, what, what, what you do about that, you know? Um, so follow your instinct, I think, and let your kids know it's always a possibility. Right. And so is that, um, I think in your contract, do you also outline, you know, limits for that? Because what are good limits? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. In the, in the contract, I think it's a good idea to have, um, you know, on weeknights, the phone will stop at this time. I think it depends on the kid, their age and what else is going on. If you've got a kid who's doing well in school, they're active in clubs and sports, they're engaged with families and friends. I didn't have super strict limits except like at a certain time of night, the phone went downstairs plugged in because I did not want texts going off all night while they're trying to sleep. But if I had a kid who was constantly staring at their screen, not getting their schoolwork done, over-involved in social media drama, texting friends all hours of the night, I have clients all the time. Their kids are so sleep-deprived because these high school kids are texting at one in the morning and on school nights. And, you know, if in that situation, um, I would absolutely go back to that contract. And and what, what the contracts are, too, is... They just offer a kind of if then, like if I know if your grades drop, then we might limit your time on the phone to two hours a day on school days or whatever it is, you know, it varies. But so that's one of the things the contract's really good about. And so what I have done with my kids in the younger teenage years, I change this as they get older because I want them to have more agency and self-control. But like with my 14 year old right now, she has, um, all her apps on her phone shut down at 9.30. And I'd love to tell you how I did that, but I don't remember. I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled it. I did it. I know I had to have a password. I know I wrote that password down somewhere, but I put it. And I remember during COVID, it used to be like 8.30 or 9, maybe last year. And then during COVID, she had online Zoom dance classes. And they shut off like the classes would sometimes go till 9 30 and her thing would shut off at nine so we had to just change it so we just made it a little bit later but i know that she can't text she can't go on youtube she can't go on instagram after a certain time and i put that limit on her phone and certainly as she gets older and i expect her to have more decision making skills and better you know time management all of that will change it or do away with it but yeah. And I think um, it's easy as a, as a teenager, because I've heard this from my own kids, you know, if you're not on, you're kind of, you feel like you're kind of missing out on something. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think for them, I'm always like, Hey, just use, 
me and your dad <laughs> as the reason that you can't be part of it yeah. is because my parents are just super strict. They shut the phone down, you yeah. know, and I'm, and I think that that's for kids in some way, that's kind of an easier out that like mom and dad won't let me mm-hmm. rather than, because I think that's something people can understand. Whereas if it's, you know, guys, I don't want to be involved. That's a little bit harder at this age yeah. when you're being really scrutinized. So, um, with the with the phones and with with all of that, what do you think about tracking teens? <laughs> <laughs> I am generally not a fan, and I have lots a lot of friends and clients who track their teens. The only time I even I didn't even track my kid, but the only time I made them share their locations if they had a very long drive, and I've even done this now. My older son was driving somewhere really far recently. Um, and by far, I mean like over four or five hours. And I was like, well, you put on, you know, share your location so that if something happens, if you were to break down or, you know, uh, and I think honestly, that's just for me to know they got there safely because they're not always the best at saying, got here safely, mom, <laughs> you know, but I can look a couple hours later and be like, oh, good, they're there. And then they turn it off. But again, I think that kids, I'm a big fan of mutual trust and transparency. I want my kids to tell me the truth and I want to believe it. And so if I had a kid that I couldn't trust and I thought they were lying to me all the time about where they were going, I might do it. And, you know, I did this as a teen. I tell my kids all the time. When I was a teenager, I used to tell my mom... (laughs) that I was going to see Footloose. I'm so dating myself at the movies. And I would drive to downtown Philadelphia. I lived outside of Philadelphia. And my mom wouldn't let me take her car to South Street, the like really cool place where people hung out downtown. And I definitely lied to her about where I was going. Um, And, you know, there were no trackers and I got caught once and I got punished and I didn't do it again. But um, (laughs) like that's part of being a teenager. If I had a kid who was consistently lying and I have advised this to clients, if they have they come to me and their teens continually telling dangerous lies, I say, yeah, good idea to track them to kind of get the real picture of what's going on. But I'd really rather build a relationship where we had more trust and I didn't have the relationship with my mom that I have with my kids. Um, or may, I, I don't know that I would have lied and sneaked. Maybe I would have. I don't know. But um, I, I think that first build that relationship where you have more trust. And it becomes a really hard habit to break. This is a big reason I do not you know, advise it. I have had clients and friends whose kids are in college and they track them in college. They say, I can't go to bed until I know my kid's home from the bars or the party or the this. And I just don't think that's appropriate. There is a time where we have to let them go live their own life. And mm-hmm. we shouldn't be checking where they are at, you know, 1 a.m. on a Friday night. That they just need to be young adults. And so they need some independence. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really true to, to kind of go through. We always say to our kids, like, I would rather that you tell me if you did something, but if I find out that you did something that you, you know, from somebody else or from mm-hmm. social media or somewhere else, that's when the stuff gets locked down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what yeah. happens. And, you know, and my kids are still young. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of time still, but hopefully, you know, with that foundation, we can do that. And I track my daughter when she goes to dance competitions because mm-hmm. I want to know if she's on a school bus, you know, yeah. I want to I know that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so 
Um, I think you're right that in, well, in various places and various times, I want to know that they made it somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that's but I would different. rather they, they, they told me, right? Yeah, yes. that's different. And, and here's the thing is a lot of people start that way. They're like, well, I'm doing it for safety. A hundred percent can see that. And, and I've done that too, like I shared. But what happens later on is you can't do anything if your college kid is out at 2 a.m. and you're seeing that on your tracking. You right. can't be like, go home. Like, it's not going to keep them safe. I totally agree with a, a middle schooler who's going, you know, to a tournament or a competition far away and they're on a bus and you kind of want to know where they are. That's, those are the times that it's beneficial to do. But I would just say to people, be careful because it becomes very addictive. Right. You know, right. Um, so we're going to shift gears yeah. a little bit and see um, what is your opinion about teens having a job after school or on the weekends? I love it. I am 100% a fan of teens having a job. And sometimes it maybe is just a summer job. But in our family, we have an um, unwritten rule. It's just sort of the culture of our family. My husband and I decided it when I was pregnant with my oldest, because we lived in a community where none of the teenagers work, we couldn't get a babysitter for our kids, because the teenagers, the parents said, we don't want our kids to work. School is their job. And we just said, you know what? We do not want to raise entitled kids. We want kids who value money, time management. And so we just decided that when you turn 15 in our family, you get some sort of a job. And we don't tell them what the job is. They get to pick. Um, there's a really uh, very very esteemed psychologist who I respect a lot called Wendy Mogul, and she calls teen jobs Baskin Robbins University. And she goes <laughs> on in her research to say how much it teaches them. It teaches them time management, responsibilities, savings, taxes. My kids had to fill out W-2s, W-9s, whatever it is, um, at 15. And they had to file mm -hmm. taxes. They had to learn interview skills. They had to learn how to prioritize, you know, do I want to work Friday night or go to the football game Friday night? And if I get scheduled for Friday night, like, you know, do I have to find a replacement or do I go do it? And, you know, it taught them so many skills. And I recently went back and asked them, my two oldest who are 23 and almost 20. And I said, do you resent the fact that we did that? And both of them with a, not even a heartbeat said, absolutely not. We're so glad you pushed us to work. They didn't love all their jobs. They both started mm -hmm. out as lifeguards one liked being a lifeguard. One hated being a lifeguard. He worked at concession stands. He had his own online businesses. You know, they did all sorts of things, but um, they said without a doubt because, and I said, well, what was the biggest thing you learned? And they said, how long it actually takes to earn enough money for like a meal out or a new pair of shoes or a video game because they had just been given that stuff, right? We just paid when they went out right. to eat. And if they needed new shoes, we bought them new shoes. And not to say that they had to spend their own money on like shoes they needed, but if they wanted some cool, fancy sneaker that they didn't need, then yeah, they had to earn their own money for that. And they had this appreciation for, wow, it. I might have to work, you know, 10 hours to be able to afford a pair of Nikes. They had never right. thought about that before. 
Um, and then also, you know, it really helped them, I think, down the road. They both got internships really easily. I think it helped them with college applications. And then the biggest thing is time management. So parents tell me all the time, my kid doesn't have time to have a job. And that is not true for most kids. I think if you have a kid who really struggles academically, they probably should not work during the school year. But I have seen in my practice and in my own experience, kids who got good grades, played sports, were in clubs, and had a job. I mean, when I say they worked, sometimes like during the school year, my older son in particular, he would lifeguard on Sunday afternoons. Really, what else are teenagers doing on Sunday afternoon? I mean, we'd go to church Sunday Mm -hmm. morning, but he would lifeguard maybe noon to four. He didn't miss family dinner. He still had time at night to do homework. Um, But it gave him like just this routine and this responsibility. And I find with teenagers, almost the more they have to do, the more they get done. You know, well, I find that with myself too. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's totally true. And I think it is finding that balance. And I think what it also does is it makes them more creative Mm -hmm. about what it is that they're going to do, Mm -hmm. right? Your son found that he could lifeguard on Sunday afternoons Mm -hmm. and that doesn't interfere with school because I think that is the biggest, um, I think, concern of parents is we're driving between soccer, we're driving between, you know, after school clubs, and how do you fit it in? Mm -hmm. And so if that's the, if that's kind of the way that you are, um, you know, you're shown that this is, this is kind of the way the family does things, I think you'll get creative with it, like whether you babysit on Saturday nights, or, you know, um, just finding that because I think that going into any sort of career, that creativity will serve them well. It does. And you know what happened? You reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about in a while. But what happened is they both got um, all these private lifeguarding gigs. So like, and some of this was through like friends and colleagues of Mm -hmm. mine, but that, you know, they would be having a birthday party in their backyard, a swing party. And they would hire, and they would pay my kids. My kids would go for a Saturday afternoon to lifeguard a birthday party and make $150. And that was something they could easily say yes or no to. They didn't get scheduled. You know, it was at their discretion. They could fit it around other activities. Um, And they both ended up getting a pretty good reputation because they'd help with the whole party. They wouldn't just like, they'd help clean up and cut the cake and, you know, um, get the kids organized for the games or what have you. And so they got a great reputation. They, They could make a lot of money doing that. And then for my middle son, you know what he told me, taught him that he doesn't want to work for other people. And he, he was always an entrepreneur, but working for other people made him realize, I want to own my own business. I want to, and, and he wouldn't have learned that that early had he not had those experiences. Yeah, what a great life lesson. Yeah. Okay, again, I'm going to shift gears on you, okay. Kim. Um, how do you handle talking back, eye rolling, and generally disrespectful communication from your team? That is probably one of the biggest questions I get from parents of teens. Besides the social media and phone stuff, I would say this is I get. Um, It's normal. They're going to talk back. They're going to roll their eyes. They're going to be disrespectful. It's just part of the teen years. And we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but just to kind of recap, um, 99% of the time, it has nothing to do with you. It is just stuff that's going on inside of them, anxiety, being tired because they're staying up too late or they're doing too much or, 
you know, like when you, your daughter, you're brushing her hair and it came out that she had this fallout with a friend. Sometimes they're carrying a lot of stuff and we don't know it. And so we're, we're the place that that comes out, that ugliness comes out at us because we're, you know, the person they know they can get away with that. They've got to keep it on all day at school or with friends. Um, so I would say first work on your relationship with your child um, and then find ways to build a fun, healthy connection. Because I will say when you have a really good connection with your kiddos, you get a lot less of that. And then the other thing is I would say don't take it personally. The teen years are just hard. It's not about you. Ignore it. It will stop. I wouldn't ignore like abusive, degrading communication, but normal teen talk, if you ignore it, it will go away. If you engage it, it will make it worse. Like when my oldest son, he's a really respectful, great kid. But when he first started talking back to me, I remember being so shocked. I remember, I remember it vividly. I remember standing in my kitchen. He was probably like 13 and him like talking back to me. And I was like, what are you doing? You cannot talk to me that way. I did not raise you this way. Who are you? Like that is against our family rules and you cannot talk to me like that. And I, I probably went on this rant and it only made it worse. It escalated and it did not end beautifully. And I, I was so worked up and frustrated by it and thought, why does he think he can talk to me that way? And I was taking it personally. And when I stepped back and was like, okay, Kim, hello, you do this for a living. What do you tell your clients? <laughs> um, and I stopped. I stopped reacting that way because you'll be saying all day, you can't roll your eyes at me. Who do you think? And then you'll be in a constant fight with your teenager. And guess what? They're going to be sassier and talk back to you even more if you're in a constant fight with them. Right. And it also puts you in a, in a very kind of defensive, offensive kind of relationship mm -hmm. because it, it totally... I will absolutely find myself, especially at the end of the day when everybody is tired, I have found myself saying the exact same things, you know, and respect is huge with my parents when I was growing up. Um, and so it was always like, why is this disrespectful? What have we done? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it is to, um, it is, is, is an important reminder, but it's very, very difficult. So, so just stop, take a breath and say, they're a teenager. This isn't about me. Let it go. That's what I would advise people to do. Just stop, take a breath. They're a teenager. Let it go. And then the other thing, Kiara, <clears throat> this doesn't apply just to teens, but I want to sneak it in here. I, I posted this on my Instagram and people loved it. But um, And I, I wish I could remember where I heard, heard it because I don't think I made it up. I think I heard it from another practitioner in my field. Um, speak to your children exactly as you want them to speak to you. If you do this consistently, if you really, really practice this, this will go away. Yelling at them and screaming at them to not talk to you in an ugly way will not make it go away. But if you continually talk to your teen and all of your children in a really calm, respectful way, they will echo that back to you. They will, it works. That is so good. So good. And with along with that, so do you believe that wrong behavior always needs a punishment or consequence, right? Like the back talking, we ignore unless it gets abusive. Yeah. But how about other, other kind of wrong behaviors? I don't think you always have to punish or 
inflict a consequence. I think sometimes the experience and the natural consequence is enough. If you punish every little thing that a teenager does, you're going to have constant stress and battles in your home, just like I talked about. Um, so you've got to choose your battles. You've got to decide what things you're going to just let go. Um, and you also have to think about the situation. And I, I, I use this example. So if a child gets che caught cheating on a test, right, mm -hmm. and the teacher imposes a zero, I would just let that be the lesson learned because it is really hard to come back from a zero. I would talk to them about it and I would tell them that I expect it not to happen again, but I don't know that I would say, okay, you're grounded from all social activities. I'm more concerned about the life lesson there. I'm more concerned that my kid learns that there are consequences of cheating and how wrong that is. And I would rather, so I'd rather build the relationship and have the conversation and really talk about it because if you just punishment, just dole out a punishment, um, okay, you're grounded. They're going to get super angry at you. And it's okay, by the way, for your kid to get super angry at you. I'm not opposed to that. But my goal in that situation is that they learn from the experience. And so one of the things I did with my kids in a situation like that is it wasn't really a punishment, but I would encourage them to write a letter to themselves about what they learned about the experience. I did this a handful of times when my kids sort of made bigger mistakes in high school. Um, and they may have seen that as a punishment. I saw it as like, let's learn from the experience. So I'd let experience mm -hmm. be the teacher sometimes. I parents every day come to me clients i i found vaping pen or vaping cartridges for my kids you know what should the punishment be and again i say whoa 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 let's let's not go right to punishment let's go to having a conversation find out why they're doing it and by the way it is never their friends <laughs> they every every kid says oh mom it's not mine i'm holding it for a friend Hello, lie, lie, lie. That is never their friends. It is theirs. Um, but I'd really work on the relationship and the communication and have conversations. Why are they vaping? Do you know the effects of it? And all right, listen, how can we work to quit? I, I would get rid of the stuff. I'd throw it away for sure. Um, but again, if you ground them, if you take away their phone for two weeks, if you take away their social life, they're not going to stop vaping because you did that. They're going to hide it better. Research shows that if you talk to them about it, if you build a good relationship, if you have conversations, that's why they quit vaping. That's why they don't vape in the first place. So there are things that my kids lose privileges and get punished for, and every kid should. They're definitely, but sometimes I think parents are so quick to just, what's the punishment? What's the punishment? I'm going to ground them. I'm going to take away their phone. I'm going to take away this. I say like, let's, let's look at like why they did it, what they can learn from it and have those conversations first. And then sometimes and, there should be a punishment. Right. And that's what I guess one the follow-up question is, um, do you set, are those family parameters mm -hmm. that you set? Like at what point do you say, okay, you've lost your iPad for mm -hmm. a week. And every time you think about using your iPad, I want you to think about X, <laughs> you know, like how you, because yeah. like that's sometimes the, the, the parental attitude, yeah. right? I think, oh, if you take away their iPad, especially when they're like five, mm -hmm. every time they think about the iPad, I want them to think about, you know, when they did this to their sister mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But are there any parameters or do you feel that that, again, is kind of a family, um, family dynamic, kid personality driven 
um, driven. Through. No, I think there definitely has to be very clear limits in families and very clear boundaries and expectations. Um, but they are unique to each family. And so something that like might be really important to me and our family might not be to somebody else. Um, but again, first you need that warm, loving, evolved present style of parenting, because when you invest in your relationships with your teens, um, first and foremost, they want to follow the rules. They want to follow the limits and then make the expectations explicitly clear. I know I'm like exaggerating that, but the consequences <laughs> and the expectations should be really clear. So for example, we expect you to be home at 10 o'clock. If you're late, you won't get the car next week and follow through. And that is so key. Consistency and follow through is key. False threats and not following through on consequences only teach your kids that your word means nothing. And I want to say that again, because I see this every day in my practice. With little kids and with teens, false threats and consequences only teach your kids that your word means nothing. My kids to this day will say, we knew if you said X, Y, or Z, that would happen. They never doubted it. We had friends that would come over and they would say, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to have to leave. And they never left. They never left. They, okay, one more chance, one more chance. That kid learned, I can push the envelope my whole life and there's not going to be follow through. And so the key to setting limits, the kid should clearly communicate. You should clearly communicate the expectation, clearly communicate the consequence and follow through. I am so surprised at parents who don't say things like, we expect that you won't drink in high school. Um, we told our kids that we communicated really what they, what we expected of them, not in a, we won't love you if you make a mistake because we told mm -hmm. them all the time we would love them if they made a mistake, but we also told them what we hoped they would do. And kids want boundaries. They want to know that they need it. They absolutely need it. My kids, friends in the teen years have said to me, I wish my parents cared as much as you and Mr. Swales do. I wish they asked me where I was going when I left the house and I had a time to be home. Like kids, it shows them love. It shows them care and concern that you're interested in their well-being if you have some rules and you have some limits. And listen, there's a style of parenting called authoritarian, whereas which is all rules and no relationships. And that's not good either. I mean, we didn't have you know, just a hundred rules, but, but we had for the big things, the clear expectations. And I think one of the reasons parents don't follow through, well, there's two reasons. I think one is sometimes follow through is hard on them. Like if the kid mm -hmm. loses the car, then you have to drive them to school every day. <laughs> you have to drive them to their job, you know, their after school job or their sports practice. So sometimes there are people are like, oh, this is going to punish me more than it punishes them. And temporarily, yes, it might, but in the long run, you're not teaching them that boundary. You're not teaching them that you're a person of your word. You can't give a con you know, threaten a consequence and then not do it. So, and that's true with little kids. Parents will say they're going to lose screen time. Well, if a kid loses screen time, that is a punishment for the parents. Sometimes, right. Right. You're, you're the one you're, you become the entertainer. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I, I get that. That's one of the reasons. And then the second reason is people, parents are afraid their kids are going to get mad at them. And, you know, I tell parents, 
it is your job. It is okay. I never worried if my kids got mad at me. Well, I shouldn't say I never worried. I mean, of course, I didn't want them mad at me. But I knew that to be a good parent, there are going to be times my kids are mad at me. And if I am right. a good parent, that's far more important than this day or a couple days of them being mad at me. And I've, I'm lucky that I'm on the other side with two of them. So that that actually puts us in the perfect position for the last question I have for you. How do you best respond to the teen's emotions while also validating their feelings? Yeah, it's hard. I you know, someone submitted that on Instagram and I saw that. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Like their emotions versus their feelings. But I think what they were saying is like sometimes teens' emotions are like out of control compared to mm -hmm. what they're really feeling underneath or what the situation kind of calls for. And so I, I really thought about this one a lot. And I would say, first of all, don't tell them that it's stupid to feel a certain way or not to feel a certain way. And sometimes we've all done it. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, don't feel that way. Don't feel scared or don't feel, you know, but I, I try really hard to censor myself and not do that. You also don't want to tell them they're overreacting even if they are, um, listen, I have overreacted. And the worst thing somebody can do is tell me I'm overreacting because guess what? I'm going to overreact mm -hmm. <laughs> even <Yeah>. more. <laughs> um, if I am feeling that way in the moment and your kid is feeling that way in the moment, if they feel scared or they feel anxious or less left out or sad, that is okay. They have a right to that feeling in that moment. And you are not going to be able to talk them out of feeling a certain way. So listen first, just listen. I use a little formula. I mean, there it's much more in depth. I teach it in marriage counseling and I use it with my clients, but the, the easiest, most boiled down simplistic version of it for parenting is I try to, I listen intently to what they're saying. And then I try to summarize what they feel and what they wish. So summarize what they feel and what they wish. So if my child's going on and on and on about, oh my gosh, I failed my test and I'm never going to be able to get into college and they're going to kick me, you know, how they, it just snowballs. Yes, it escalates. Yeah. Yes. And it's a quiz worth like a half a percent, you know, but they're really upset about it. So I give them my undivided attention. And then I say something like, you feel frustrated or you feel scared and you wish you'd done better on that test. Um, or, you know, if they didn't get invited to something, you feel sad and left out and you wish you were invited to that sleepover. And this does two things. First, it helps them feel like, oh my gosh, you get it. And you're not telling me not to feel that way. You're not telling me I'm not overreacting. You like get it. And then it also helps them clarify what they are feeling. Because sometimes they'll say, no, I'm not really sad. I'm embarrassed. Everybody else was invited. Or... I'm angry that they put something on that quiz that they didn't tell us was going to be on it or that they didn't even teach. So it's showing them empathy. And 99% of the time, that's what they want. But it also helps them kind of hone in on, am I overreacting? Is this really that big of a deal? You know, what am I really upset about? And so you want to summarize what they feel and what they wish. And then after you show that empathy, you can move on to like, advice or problem solving or putting things in perspective, but always first listen with empathy. It diffuses everything. And it just makes your kid feel really valued and understood. Right. And that's, I think, such a key in the teen years 
to feel seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think we all do that like all through our lives. Right. But, um, the feeling seen thing I've noticed is the biggest, um, just letting them know that they're there and they're valid and not, not, not valid, but you know, that you, you see what, what it is that they are going through Mm -hmm. and you haven't dismissed it, I Mm -hmm. think is, has made a difference for me. And I have to step back sometimes because sometimes I get all worked (laughs) up too. You know, yeah, I do exactly what you told us not to in the last podcast, which is <laughs> un- I do not underreact. Yeah. Well, yeah, so. we get mama bear sometimes. and like, really? I want to go in and talk to that teacher. I'm going to exactly. call that friend. I can't believe they put that on your test, right? And yeah. I can't believe that this happened and how unfair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, so I think that's also important that, that mm-hmm. um, you've said that in the, in the, underreacting, I'm not putting my own or projecting my own feelings, how I would feel if I didn't get invited to the party. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden it's like, well, I didn't feel that, but you're right. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's pouring gasoline on a flame. And our Mm -hmm. goal is to kind of like slowly put the fire out, you know, but make them feel heard first. Um, yeah. Yeah. You'll be, if, if, if everybody listening to this did this, even with their spouse, say you don't have teenagers, do it with your spouse, do it with your best friend, do it with your sister. Next time they come to you with a problem or an issue to say, so you feel really sad and you wish, you know, X, Y, and Z happened. You're going to just see this, like, like their shoulders relax. They let out a breath and they're like, yes, yes. I mean, I get to see it every day with my clients, but Mm -hmm. it's just, we all need to be better empathic listeners. It's almost like a hug. It is. Oh, I love that. I love that, (laughs) Kiara. Oh, see, you're so good. (laughs) You're so good. That's it. It's like a hug. So I have a question for you as we end. So, you know, these are our first two episodes of the podcast. And I really wanted to have like one question I ask all my guests kind of as we close. I'm not sure if I had come up with the final wording of it, but what I want to know is from every guest I have on the podcast is what is one piece of practical wisdom you can share on this topic? So what's one piece of practical wisdom? Cause you're a mom of a teen and an almost teen, almost um, teen. Yeah. Just a couple months. And yeah. Be there. <laughs> um, I think my most practical advice, and I was asking my husband this question because I knew that, you know, I was kind of like, Kim's going to ask. And he and I both came up with like very, very practical. It's very mundane, but play the video games, watch the TikTok with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's so silly, but our kids, you know, are, this is, this is their world. Mm -hmm. This is where it is. And I used to fight it. And I used to say, turn the video game off. I don't want to hear any more about it. I don't want to hear about, you know, all of this, but we have started, you know, before shutting it down five minutes, 10 minutes before come upstairs and just see what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll show it to you. Or now my kids will, you know, send me a TikTok they think is funny. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's like, whoa, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) But we have, it gives you a point of relation, a mm-hmm. relationship, um, pivoting point, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a jumping off point. And I think that's, that's really it. And it, it correlates with when they were toddlers and, you know, people are always saying, stop and look at the ants with them. Mm-hmm. When they want to look at the ants, you're walking to the park, 
Um, but this is, this is the teenage version in the <laughs> modern times of watch the TikTok that they think is so funny yeah. and you'll understand a little bit, you know, you'll understand a little bit, maybe not a lot, but it's, it's all about the relationship, I think. And that's something that you always talk about yeah. is because that's, in the end, that's, you know, that's where it is. And they, they go away after 18 years. <laughs> I know. And that's what you have. That's what you have. The lasting thing is the relationship. Because you know what? You're not giving them rules in their 20s. What you have mm -hmm. at the end of this is the relationship. That's such good advice, Kiara. I love that. Wonderful, practical wisdom. Yeah, that's really good. So thank you so much for um, being my guest slash co-host on these first two episodes about probably so one much. of the toughest topics we'll tackle, you know, parenting teens. Um, so Kiara, I know you have this awesome um, Instagram page where you share some of your writing and your photos. Can you share with our listeners what that is? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at photos.by.kiaramay and it's C-H-I-A-R-R-A-M-A-Y. And um, thank you so much, Kim, for um, letting me have this conversation with you. Oh, it's been great. You've been the perfect person to start this adventure with, like just so encouraging and supportive and wise. And I know our listeners will gain a lot from the things that you shared about your own life. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area.